Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. It was beautiful for me to see my daughter so beautifully married to such a lovely young Christian man and to be doing everything so so well, both of them, to make have made such good choices. And it was just it was it was but it was there was God. He was there and it was such a blessing for me personally to experience that. And you know, I just I I, I was there you know at the reception, there I was seeing the fruit of my labor, really, because I've been a mom. I raised this kid for, you know, 19 years, and it's hard yakka. And, um, you know, they have their moments, as all parents know. And um, But there she was, you know, and I know she's still got a long life in front of her, but it was lovely to see that she has hit a certain high point in her life and made some good choices. And so there she was, and I was surrounded by everyone I loved, like so many people that I love, my family, and so many of my friends, not all of them, but many of my friends that I loved. And there was just this lovely brightness and glory in the day. And and then Eleanor spoke so highly of um, Chris and myself, which was, you know, lovely to be honoured like that. And, you know, she made us sound like great parents. And that was nice. It was like all anything we've ever done wrong, you know, just forget about that. And it was like heaven because that's what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be a glory like a glory about it. We're going to be surrounded by everyone that we love, all our friends and family and people that we've done life together with. God will be there in all his glory and we'll be honoured. All the things that we've done well will be honoured. The things we haven't done so well, whoosh, forget about that. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just like a taste of heaven. I, I was on such a high. I could hardly believe it. And and then, you know, in, in, it, it, really, it really did make me feel excited about heaven because if that was good imagine heaven you know that's just nothing compared to where we're going and we are going to the promised land we are going to all of us but the thing about heaven is that it's not it really isn't just meant to be when we die God wants us to experience the promised land now he really does. And so I just want to speak a little bit about, I have been reading numbers and reading about the Israelites and as Aaron preempted, staggered at the idiocy of, the, of so many of them that they had this opportunity to be in the promised land and yet so many of them died in the wilderness. And they were, they were you know, they were the, the equivalent of Christians. We're not talking about people who are still stuck in Egypt. We're talking about the chosen people who, who had this opportunity and yet they, they died in the wilderness. And I guess experiencing such, a, such victory as I did at that day of the wedding makes me want to keep experiencing more of that. I want to live in the promised land. And I want to take all of you lot with me. I want to take as many as I can with me. It was fun seeing, you know, talking to my family who could just see God. They, they were so touched and talking to different ones. I mean, one of the mums that I spoke to said, you know, that they were sad because they said, my daughter hasn't made such good decisions and she's off in the wilderness at the moment. And I said, well, you're going to have a great redemption story. You know, we've all got different stories. I said, yours will be a redemption story. I'll be like, yes. They've come back, which, you know, we all have different stories. And she said, yes, okay, I believe it. So, um, 
But I just want to make sure that we're all in the promised land because what a tragedy. What a tragedy when, you know, if you're invited to the wedding and you're not coming. You'd rather be, you know, scratching around at McDonald's and, or not McDonald's, sorry, Dan, but, you know, somewhere, <laughs> McDonald's is pretty good, but, you know, somewhere, some slum or something, you know, and eating, eating junk when you could be eating the best and enjoying the blessed life that God wants to have for you. And I just, you know, reading about those Israelites who, you know, if just for those of you who, who don't know, you know, they were, they were slaves in Egypt and, and Egypt represents, in the Bible, there's this, there's types. They call it a type. So everything in the Old Testament is like a shadow or a, an example of the New Testament of our life. So Egypt represents the world. When you're in Egypt, you're in slavery. You've got Pharaoh who represents the devil just telling you what to do and you do it. You're stuck. And then, then the deliverer comes, Moses, in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New, and he says, I'm going to set you free. And so you, get, you, you go, yes, please. And then you get you get saved from Egypt and you go through the Red Sea and the Red Sea represents baptism and you go through the Red Sea, but you don't come straight into the promised land, you see. You, you come into the wilderness. So after salvation, there's where you've begun this journey, you've begun something good, but you're not yet experiencing the, the promises. So when you're first saved, you know, it's not, you know, as, as Byron says, you just started planting. You haven't yet you know, you, you don't know how to get healed. You don't know how to read the Bible. You don't know how to pray. You're sort of just wandering around saying, what do I do now, God? You're wandering around a little bit in the wilderness, but God wants to take you through and teach you his ways so you can begin to experience the promised land, which is where you come when you start to see the fruit growing, you know, in, in various areas of your life. But what a tragedy for Christians to stay in the wilderness, to stay there. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to read verse 1 to 12, which is our, our passage for today. So brothers and sisters, just for the record, if the Bible ever uses the male, it means the male and the female. Because we are men, I'm a man with a womb. So that makes me a woman. So if ever it talks men or brothers, it includes us. We don't have to be silly about that. All right, now, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things became our examples so that we should not last after evil things as they lasted and not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by this destroyer. All these happened in them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So they are an example for us. We are to look, read those Old Testament stories and learn. This is an example. And I think that's really interesting. God has positive examples, but God also sets up negative examples for us in our life. So, you know, in life, you look at some people, we think, I want, I want what they've got. They're, they're great. They're following Jesus. I'm going to be full on like them. 
I want to, I, I read Matthew Henry's commentary. I think, man, I want to know the Bible like he does. He's amazing. But also, God has negative examples. I believe God will have examples like this for each of you. It's examples in, in, of people and it's like, I, I don't want to be like that. I, I don't want to do that. And I'm not necessarily talking about people who are in the world. I'm just talking about Christians. Because these people were Israelites. They knew God. They'd been saved through the Red Sea. And yet they were an example of what not to do. So you look at them and go, I'm not going to do that. Do you ever get that? You, sometimes you're talk, talking and I think, I'm not going to talk like that. I, I'm not going to be like that. I just think, I just listen. I think, no, I'm not, I don't want to be like that. I don't, I don't agree with the way you're talking. I don't want, I don't want that. I'm not having that. I've had so many times people say, speak things when I was raising kids. I just remember there was a lady, she always used to prophesy these terrible things onto me when I was raising kids. Oh, wait till, wait till, like, wait till this. Wait till the terrible twos. Then you'll know you're alive. That'll be, you'll have it. It's so hard. It'll be terrible. And I used to just smile and go, no, it won't. I refuse that. I'm going to have a great time when my children are two. It's like, oh, wait till they start moving around. Wait till they do this. It'll be terrible. Wait till this. And I just used to always go, no. No, I'm going to be blessed. They're going to be great. And they were. I just thought, I don't want that. So sometimes God actually deliberately puts people in your world as an example of what not to do. You know? So make sure that you don't do it. And I believe that sometimes God has whole nations. The whole of the nation of Israel was an example of what not to do. And I was thinking about that and I thought, well, you don't have to look at Germany in world, you know, in around about 1939 to see a whole nation of what not to do. Like, duh. Don't follow a guy like Hitler, you know. That's not smart. Look what happened to them. What a mess for the Germans. I mean, it was a mess for all of us. But, I mean, what a mess that they didn't, enough of them didn't stand up against him. And unfortunately, they flowed along and it was only, you know, what was it now? When did the wall come down? Five, ten years ago that, that they finally were starting to sort of get through that. Their country was split in half and so messed up for all those years. So there's a whole nation. There's a time when, as a, as a people, we need to stand against evil leaders or whatever it is. So God gives us these, them as examples. So we're going to just look at them a little bit this morning as an example of what not to do. And I was thinking about how you can be in the wilderness as a Christian. And I think, I, I know Christians in the wilderness. And some Christians die there. Imagine that. I just, I just agree with Aaron. She's like, ugh. How can you, what, whoa. But you see that. Some people... In the wilderness of, of, of church life, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about some people who'd left this church actually and they're wandering around in the wilderness. Ah! And I know they're meant to be in this church. I know it. But they don't want to be here for various reasons. So they're just wandering around from church to church in the wilderness because they don't want to deal with stuff. It's like, ah, come back, be smart. Some people are wandering. Well, some people are in the wilderness in their lives. They're living the wrong life. They're in the wrong city. They're they're following the wrong thing. And you see, their lives just don't add up. And, and I and I know people like that. Some people are in the wilderness in their heart, their attitudes. They they just they're just wandering around and around this dry and dusty place because they've got these attitudes that are just horrible. It's making them miserable. They don't know how to get through it, and they just so they don't. And you'll die there. And praise God when you die, you know, you go to heaven and he'll finally sort you out. But what a shame. Come to the wedding. Come to the promised land now. Why wait till you die? I I mean, enjoy life. And you don't, I mean, the wilderness is not a great place to be. At the end of the day, it's a desert. It's dry. It's a bit dusty. You know, it's not 
it's not the promised land. And you know you're there because it's, frankly, not that much fun. If there's a part of your life and you're not enjoying it, you're probably in the wilderness there. If you can't find peace and joy there, it's probably a wilderness part of your life. And I think it's funny. I think in some ways you can be in the wilderness in some areas, but not all. You know, I think some people are in the wilderness with their health, but they're doing really well with this area. So if there's a part of your life that's just dry and dusty and miserable, just deal with it. Get it. Get rid of it. Don't stay there. I just urge you. I want you to. I don't want you to be sad. I want you to feel like I felt. <laughs> I want to be. It's. It's much nicer to be happy than sad. That's what I think. And God has called us to to joy. He really has. It's not. You know, I am not. I'm actually not naturally a bright, sparky kind of person. Naturally, I'm, I'm deeply analytical and slightly melancholic. That might surprise some of you, but it's just the truth. I'm not naturally bright, truly. You know, I, I'm, I, I think deeply and, and, and sadly about so many things, but I choose to rejoice and I, and I choose to find that place of joy and peace because it's, it's, it's more fun. <laughs> it's better. So don't be in the wilderness. You can be in the wilderness with priorities, in the wilderness with who you're with. You can be, you know, God's got the promised land. He's got the promised people for you, but you want to hang out with these people. I can think of friends of mine who are in the wilderness in their, you know, relationships. You know, they're with the wrong people. They're with the wrong wife sometimes even. And I only mean that because, you know, they've left their the wife of their youth and went on and sort of found other women. Not once you're married, just stick, stick stay there. <laughs> But how crazy. So it says here clearly that they were examples to us. And yet they were so blessed. They were so blessed. I mean, they were delivered. It says here that they, they lived under the cloud. That wasn't just any cloud. That wasn't like a negative cloud. That was the cloud of God's glory. All day long it just shielded them from the, from the sun he, he just And they followed that cloud. It was the glory of God, that cloud. That was no ordinary cloud. You know, when, um, when we were praying about the weather, and thank you for those who prayed. We had some great weather prayers. You guys were praying for yesterday. You had a good day too. So you just got to hang in there sometimes. But I don't recommend it. <sighs> you got enough things to think about with clothes and dresses and all that. I don't if you can, I, I think an indoor wedding has its advantages because I have never cared about the weather before, ever. Like, I don't care whatever the weather is. I'm happy, you know. And every day I was like looking at the forecast and, oh, is it going to be so? I was like, oh. And the next day, I remember the next day, I thought, I don't care what the weather's like. Praise God. It can do whatever it wants. I'm never going to read another weather forecast again. I told my other kids, indoor wedding for you. That's it, bang. So, <laughs> because it's quite um, sort of, I don't know. But anyway, we had some good people praying and it was cute because Haddon said he was going for not a cloud in the sky. I said, I don't want a cloud in the sky. And I went, okay. But Chris wanted clouds because Chris, is, you know, hates being sunburned. So he wanted nice, big, fluffy clouds over the courtyard so that we didn't get sunburned. And I said, oh, babe, I don't know about fluffy clouds. I mean, fluffy clouds can get together and get a bit scary. So, but I was kind of happy for anything. And when I woke up that morning, there was not a cloud in the sky. Like I looked, it wasn't one cloud. And I thought of Haddon because that was his prayer, not a cloud in the sky. And I was like, and I was thanking God. And I was thank, sort of, thanks Haddon um, for praying. And, um, but later when we drove to the wedding, then the fluffy white clouds came. And so when we were actually sitting in the courtyard outside, the, the fluffy clouds were there to shield us a little from the sun. 
And I just kind of smiled at God because I thought, because I remember thinking, well, we can't have it both ways, you know, because two people are praying for different things. And then God said, see, I answered both. And I'm just like, God, you are too cool. Like two people are praying different things, but God still answers both prayers. Isn't God just amazing? Like, because I was thinking, oh, well, it either has to be not a cloud in the sky, or not, but I hadn't thought that it could change. So praise God, like so good. And, you know, for, for, for blondies like Chris, it's very important not to get sunburned. So he liked those fluffy clouds. Yeah, see, I like the sun. I like to bake a bit, but, but he liked the fluffy clouds. So we got both and God totally blessed us. And I know that, you know, it's nice to have a cloud in a really hot, hot place. It is good to have a cloud. And they had the cloud. They were so blessed. And this cloud, when talk about, talk about weather praying, they had the perfect, they had this perfect sort of glory on top of their camp wherever they were for 40 years. Just this perfect, glorious kind of cloud. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like because it wasn't a normal cloud. And at night, it turned into this this fire, this pillar of fire. And it was the the, the glory of God. So that they 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 had fire. It turned into fire at night and this cloud by day. And they, they, they lived with this constant miracle. And then they, it says they were baptized with Moses in the sea. So they passed through the, the Red Sea. And the Red Sea would have stood up on either side. The old um, Charlton Heston movie is the best for that. You know, they really, they really, it's really like they're just walking through. It's like, whoa, it would have been pretty high. And then there's just fish sort of coming to the edge of the walls. Just be like, whoa. Can you imagine? Like, what a miracle. They had this extraordinary miracle. It says they drank, they ate spiritual food. God provided them with manna. Just this beautiful, this, it would just drift down and they collect it and bake it into bread. Every day, they, food was provided. Imagine that. If you just woke up in the morning, went out in the garden, collected your flour and cooked your toast. That's pretty good. Cheap and easy. I mean, imagine that. That's what they had every single day for 40 years. They never planted a crop. They never went to the shops. Just the food just fell down. And it says that they had the spiritual drink. Moses, they got thirsty. Moses just touched a rock and the rock, just water just came out of the rock. And it's some people think that the rock actually followed them because it says here that the rock followed them. So some people have been, does that mean the actual rock followed them or how does that, or does the stream follow them or what happened? There was something spiritual going on because they, ne- they were all, they're never thirsty. So with all this blessing, with all these extraordinary things going on, God was not pleased with them. He wasn't pleased with them because they had rotten attitudes the whole time. Let's just look at some of the things that they did. It says they lusted after evil or carnal things. Now, interestingly, one of the things that they lusted after that was so displeasing to God was just meat. They got angry with what God had provided. So it's not and I think this is interesting because meat is not in itself wrong. You know, God is happy for them to eat meat. But there was, there were, it was the lust. It was like, I want it and I want it now. And, and, and it wasn't what God had provided at that time. And they were unhappy with what God was giving them now and they wanted something else. And he hated that attitude. They complained. They said, they said it would be better if we went back to Egypt and ate the food there. It's like. So you want it, what are you saying? It's better than not to miss out on all those blessings that you've had and all that freedom. You would rather be a slave. You can, terrible attitude. And that's lusting after carnal things is when we allow our carnal appetite, our appetite for... See, the difference between lust and desire is that lust is now. So, you know, 
a young man might desire to be married, but healthy desire is I'll get married, I'll meet a girl and we'll, we'll get engaged and we'll go to the wedding and we'll get married and then we, you know, go on our honeymoon. That's desire and that's healthy, that's normal, that's okay. But lust won't wait. Lust is now. Lust gets a woman now. I'm not waiting till we get married. I have her now. And it's the same with anything. That any, anything that is, is a normal a good thing, like it's a good thing for a man and a woman to be married, can be turned into a bad thing by lust. Because lust says, I'm not waiting on your time, God. I want it now. And you can lust for anything. You can say, I'm not waiting until lunch. I'm going to eat now. I'm not waiting to dessert. I'm going to eat now. That's lust. I'm not waiting right now. If, you, if there's anything in your life and you're not prepared to wait for it, you need to check yourself, is this lust? No matter what it is. Because lust will not wait. And God is not happy with lust because lust is saying to God, your is bad, I want it now. You know, I mean, we all know that with little kids. You know, can I have chocolate? No, we can have it after dinner, dear. I want it now. It's like, whoa, you know. That's called lust. And children don't muck around. They just, just let it straight out. And you don't like it when your child does that. Something inside of you goes, no, you wait until I tell you when you can have it. Because you sense that it's an evil thing. It's not evil that they want chocolate. I want chocolate. But it's evil that they demand that you listen to them and give it to them now. That it's, it's this control. You will give me what I want when I want it. That makes me in charge of when I get things rather than you. Can you see that? Which essentially makes me God. I'll decide when I get my chocolate, when I get this and I'll get that. I'll decide. That's lust. It's very displeasing to God. So we've always got to be prepared to wait and not lust after things. And that's what they did. It says they lusted after carnal things and God was displeased with them. They were idolaters. They made a gold calf and worshipped it. So, you know, idolatry is whatever you put before God. If you, we, we sacrifice in our life for things. And if you sacrifice to anything before God and, and if you're prepared to make sacrifices for something and God doesn't even want you to, then it's idolatry. You know what idolatry is. So we've got to make sure that God comes first in our life. Anything that comes before God, it's an idol. So whether it's your career, your reputation, your ministry, some people you know, put their own ways before God's ways. That's idolatry. Losing your first love. If you're not passionate for God... You're not excited about God and you've lost your first love. You're, you're, you're casual about God. That's idolatry because you, you'll be passionate about something else. I can guarantee you meet people, they're passionate about something. Even if it's passionate about staying in bed, like I just love my bed. I just want to be here. And then I just love watching this TV show. Even if they're lazy, if there's, there's a kind of a passionate desire to be lazy. You know what I'm saying? To do it my way. And so then that, that's your first love. So you, whatever comes first, it's got to be, it's just, it's got to be God. And they did that. And then, and then there was sexual immorality. This is just the list in Corinthians, sexual immorality. They, you know, that's, I mean, that's just everywhere. I don't even need to talk about that. I was saying to someone the other day, I said, you know what? We're going to end up being like the Amish we are. That's what we'll be like because the world is just getting dark, just cr- crazy out there. I mean, it's just crazy. When I was a kid, it was a real big deal. Like, oh, we can live together and not get married. I'm like. And that was the that was see wherever you wherever the wherever the society right does the the line, like the society says you should get married, so that's the line. Then re- rebellion in the people will want to break the line. So rebellion will say, "Oh, I want to get married. Oh, 
oh, then all the lawbreakers go, oh, all right, all right, then we'll move the line. Now you don't have to get married and no one really minds. No one makes a fuss and we'll give you all the same rights as married people. So then we move the line. Put it there. So we say, now it's here. And then they go, well, well what, about, what about men and men? Why can't we get married? Oh, 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 okay, you want to move the line. Okay, well, we'll keep moving the line. So we just keep moving the line. And the danger is where... The danger is that the line keeps going, you see. It, it, because rebellion, once, once it's okay for men to get married to each other, men and women, you know, and gays to get married, the line will keep moving. Because in 10 years' time, the way we're going, they'll be okay in society. And so then we'll move the line again. But think about where the next line's going. It gets scary. Because then it'll be like, well, I want to be married to two people. Why can't I be married to two? Why can't I? And you just keep moving the line, and it keeps moving until, until there's until society collapses, which is just what happens all the time. And, you know, it doesn't worry me because it's happened before. Society has collapsed before. The world's not going to end until God decides. Or, but, but what will happen is that our line becomes, looks, starts to look increasingly absurd to them. You, you know, they, because our lines are still way over here where the Bible puts them. Like, you know, you, you, you mean your daughter's 19, she's getting married? How do you feel about that? And they're looking at me thinking, so these are like, you know, my friends at hockey and that, they're assuming, so what, is she pregnant? Like, why on earth? Like, what, what, what's gone wrong? What, what? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm really happy. They're, they're great. It's beautiful. All oh, right. So then they kind of, they're trying to suss out why she's getting married at 19. Like, what, what have you, what's happened? And then I sort of, and then they start to look at me like, oh, this is, are you, okay, so this is like sort of this old-fashioned cute thing, like they're getting married. And then someone just asked me straight out, right, so is she virgin? I just went, wow, you don't muck around you. They just asked me straight out. I'm like, wow, is your daughter? Like, you know, like, hello, what a question. So, you know, but our lines, are going, we're going to look like the army. We're going to look like these quaint little people that, that fall in love and then get married and then go on honeymoons. How sweet. But because, you know what I'm saying? Because our, our standards will be so different from the way the world does it, but it's, it'll be delightful. I love it. I think, fine, let it, let it be. And then they'll, they'll look over and they'll, they'll want to come and join us because our, our ways are so beautiful. They're so lovely and they know it. I tell you, they know it. They do. They see it. So, so whatever, the world's going to do its stuff. Don't worry too much about it. It's all been done before. It's all been done before. But, but, but we must make sure that we're living the beautiful life. Like, I mean, if they're off doing their crazy stuff, moving the boundary to, you know, until they fall off the edge of the world... Let's make sure that, our, that we're living the promised life and that we're living in a beautiful place because we have to, they have to see us loving one another and see us living this holy, pure, awesome, amazing, joyful place so that they want to come over and live with us. They're not going to want to join us if we're wandering around the wilderness. You know, I mean, they, they know what the wilderness is like. They're in slavery and they look over and think, you guys are living, you look pretty miserable. I'm not joining you lot. So there's another reason why it's important for us to be living in the promised land, in the place of promises. It says that they tempted or tested Christ. So that it says that, um, you know, they had to, they would, as they were journeying along, they wanted to go through Edom and they weren't allowed to. It said the soul of the people became very discouraged. They got down because sometimes things take longer than you like. And that's what happened. So they got down. And so then they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. That was the miracle food, remember, that God provided. That's what they've got to say about their miracles. See, God will give us miracles. He's happy to give us miracles. 
But he wants to make sure we have the right attitude towards them. Look at their attitude towards their miracle. So all of a sudden they start complaining and they start finding fault with God and your leaders, which is pretty, pretty standard kind of stuff. And they did it. And he's saying that was an example of what not to do. So just a couple of things here. Don't complain ever about anything. Don't complain about what God has given you in your life. Rejoice. There's always something good in it. Don't complain about your leaders ever, at all, ever, full stop. Not just me, any leader in your life, don't complain, all right? Simple. That's what I've learned in my life, and I haven't always been there, okay? Because I'm an analyst. I like to analyze how people can do things better, and I figured out how my leaders could do things better too, but it doesn't do any good because every leader in your life is human and fallible, and they have failings and faults, and if you've got any kind of discernment, you might pick up on it. So whoopee-doo, you've discovered they're not perfect. Pray for them and get over it. What is your options? Go and find another leader? Guess what? They won't be perfect either. Find another one? They won't be perfect either. You know why? Because at the end of the day, Jesus wants us to worship only him, the one perfect leader. The rest of us are fallible. Everyone on this front row is fallible. Phil Pringle is fallible. Brian Houston is fallible. A lot of them. I could name you their faults, but I won't because <laughs> I've learned not to. I'm telling you, God paid me back sometimes something fierce for ever complaining against any of my leaders, and I, I'm, I have the fear of God on me. I wouldn't touch them. Boy, I just accept them, and I honor them, and I love them, and I forgive them for all their imperfections. And, and, and you know what? Most of them are pretty good. <laughs> Most of them are better than I am, so why not actually enjoy their strengths? And, you know, Moses is the same. I mean, he's only the most humble man that ever existed by his own admission. <laughs> so he was an amazing leader, but they hated him. They had a go at him. They were tired of him. Moses this, Moses that. And they complained and complained about him. And it's just crazy, and it, it was part of the thing that... God actually calls it testing Christ because you're actually, and again, I go back to parents, like I've seen kids test me, like try to make me angry, like just, so I'm just, I go, you're just trying to make me lose it, aren't you? Well, I'm not going to lose it. That's, that's what, that's what they were essentially, that's what called, that's what testing God is. It's getting, it's continually putting it to him to see if he's going to lose it. And he does get angry eventually, but he never loses it. And we ought not to do that to God. We ought not to put him in a position where he'll never lose his temper, but where he, he's likely to get angry with us. And he got very angry with them because they criticized God and they criticized the leaders that he had he'd put in place. So don't do it. And if you're a leader, and most of you are in one way or another, I mean, whether it's in your youth group or a leader of your group at school or a parent or, you know, most of us have some form of leadership, don't lose it because unfortunately... They did, Moses did lose it. <laughs> they pushed and pushed and pushed. And in the end, he got really angry with them. And he smashed the rock instead. He disobeyed God. He lost his cool. And then he got, he died in the wilderness as well. Poor old Moses. So, <laughs> so just, that's another thing that they did. And they, and, and God was angry with them. So there was, there's more. I mean, they just kept doing it wrong. But let's not do that. Let's. You know, it, the Bible says, let us examine ourselves to see that we're in the right place. And that's where I want to finish today. Just seeing where they missed it, 
in 1 Corinthians 10:12 it says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall be be careful basically be aware and and you know Paul Paul said I know of nothing against myself that's what Paul said what a cool thing to say I don't know anything against myself I remember reading that thing oh I can think of a couple of things against me but Paul could think of nothing that he, where he was missing it. But he said, but not that I judge myself. God's my judge in the end. But what a great place to be in. And after I read that, I thought, well, can I think of anything against myself? And I could, so I wrote them down. And then I remembered in Revelation how God wasn't pleased with those churches. He says, I've got this and this against you. You've lost your first love. You've got bad attitude. You know, and, he, and I thought, you know, the Bible says if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. And there's even a scripture that says that... Listen to this, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, it says, Let a man examine himself and eat the bread and drink the cup in a worthy manner. For this reason, many are sick and weak among you, and many die because, and it says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This is New Testament stuff. It's saying that because they're walking in these bad ways, it's opening themselves up to sickness, to weakness, possibly even death. That's wilderness stuff. And so what we need to do is we need to go, okay, these are the examples for me. Stuff to avoid, simple. Am I doing stuff? This is what I do. I go, right, these things I should avoid. I wrote it down. I wrote the list. Right, avoid this, 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 and this. Do I do any of this? I examine myself, not in a negative way, but just think, am I in doing any of this? If I am, I judge myself. What does that mean? I go, I'm sorry, God. I think maybe I am, you know? It's not like some, you know, I don't need to whip myself, but I just acknowledge where I'm at and where I might be missing it. Maybe get someone to help me and move on because I want to be in the promised land. And once you've done that, you can, you can enjoy where you're meant to be. You can enjoy the wedding. Amen? So I just encourage you to think about whether you're living in this place of joy and peace right now. Are you in the promises? Are you living in the right promised land today? Because it's a daily thing. And if not, Whatever it is that's in the way, deal with it, get it out of the way and live there because that's where God wants you to live. That's where I want you to live and you'll have more fun. You'll have a better life, a more productive life and a more successful life if you're living the life that God has planned for you. Amen? Praise God. Come on, let's pray. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.